Let's turn in God's Word this evening to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. The Gospel of Matthew, the 6th chapter. We'll read God's Word as it here, beginning at verse 5 and reading through verse 15. Matthew chapter 6, 5 through 15. This is God's breathed out word to us this evening. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that what you need before you ask Him. Pray then. Like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord in heaven, we come to thee and we thank thee, Lord, for this opportunity to be into thy house. And open your word, Lord, and may we apply this word to our hearts and learn how to communicate with you as you would have us to communicate. We pray, Lord, that thou be with Pastor Bob. Give him the words to say that we may accept these words into our heart and apply them to our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. There are all sorts of situations in which we pray. There are these public times of corporate worship in which we pray. Generally, it is myself or the elders who are praying audibly during this time. We pray at various gatherings, the beginning of Bible studies, close of Bible studies. We pray at various events, church, school, Lord willing, you pray as a family, that there is a time, perhaps at your meal time, in which you gather before your meal is served and offer prayer to the Lord. Perhaps many of you grew up in a home in which not only did you pray beforehand, but then after the meal had been consumed, you opened up God's Word and were fed by the Word of God, and then you 
prayed again. Maybe for some of you and your family, you sang during that time as well. Perhaps there are times in which you pray with your spouse. You have a time of devotions with your wife or with your husband and you offer prayer. We certainly pray at the bedside of people who are sick and ill. We pray when we visit. And although that much of what I am going to say becomes applicable to those circumstances, that is not the situation that I am specifically addressing. I am addressing instead your time with the Lord. Your personal, private time of prayer with the Lord. The time outside of the public eye, the time outside of the public square, the time outside of others being around, including family and including spouse. The time when it's just you and your Lord and your praise. Now, for some of you, you're already sitting on perhaps pins and needles because you're already going, uh-oh, I don't do that. Well, let me encourage you, you should. And let me encourage you, you need to. And let me encourage you, get started. And I pray that this series of messages then for you would indeed be beneficial and helpful in getting you started in that time of personal prayer. Some of you need some encouragement along this way. Things have grown pretty routine. In fact, if I were to say, okay, when you have your next time of personal prayer, what are you going to say? And you pretty much know verbatim what you're going to say. It's what you said last time. It's what you said the last ten times. It's what you say just about every time in your time of personal prayer. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Others of you, hopefully, Lord willing, this, and hopefully it's for the vast majority of you, this comes as a keep it up. Keep it up. But maybe for you, the well's beginning to run a little dry. And you're finding yourself becoming a little monotonous to your own self and you're wondering if I'm boring myself what am I doing to the Lord is this really a time of prayer if I'm falling asleep while I'm praying so I want you to understand that's the circumstance our personal time with the Lord not a time for any one of us to be looking at another person and judging whether or not they're engaged in it. You and you alone know this. You and you alone know what is going on in your own prayer closet. It's 
So the only place to be looking for pastor as well as congregation is in a mirror. What am I doing? What is this like? And as we begin, first of all, let me say, this is needed. That's the first point for tonight. This is needed. Now, God doesn't need our prayers, but he desires them. God doesn't need this time with you, but he certainly desires this time with you. God is not dependent upon your praying. God knows all before we even ask or say it. God is aware of everything you're going to say. He knows every circumstance, every situation. You cannot give God some new information when you pray. He doesn't need your prayer. It's not like, oh, I didn't, didn't know your cousin was in the hospital. Well, I'll certainly pay some attention to that now that you've prayed. God doesn't need your prayer, but oh, how he desires to spend time with you and to hear you speak to him. While that statement is true, then the second statement oftentimes and too often is true as well, is that we don't desire to pray, but we need to. We don't necessarily have a lot of desire. My guess is, and I think this is probably a pretty good guess, that the vast majority of the people in this room spend far more time in front of a screen than we do with the Lord in prayer. Whether it's a television screen, whether it's a computer screen, whether it's the screen of our phone, we spend far more time in front of a screen than we do in prayer. And yes, there's something wrong with that. Yes, there's something out of sorts with that. Yes, there is a problem with that. Something has gotten out of balance in our lives. For some, it's not a screen. For some, it's a gymnasium or a sports field. For some, it's a book or a literature. They're schoolwork. They spend far more time in that than they do with their Lord in prayer. Not to leave too many people out. Some of the people spend far more time with their stitchery. Some of you don't even know what that is. So, Than you do with the Lord in prayer. Sometimes our lives get really out of balance. They get really out of sync. And it's often when we fail to spend the time we should with the Lord in prayer. Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6 is trying to focus us on what should be central in our time of prayer. The first thing he talks about are these Hypocrites. 
those who love to stand on the street corner. It's interesting as I read this from Matthew's gospel, the way he states it. He says that they love to stand, as it were, out in the public. They pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And I, I found it interesting, it's not heard by others. Why? Because these are exactly the times that we're talking about. These were to be personal times of prayer. So they're not praying in a corporate situation. They're not praying on behalf of a congregation or a Bible study group or a family before a meal. That, that's not what Jesus has in mind here. Jesus is saying these are people who are engaged in their personal, private prayer life, but they're doing it publicly. They're doing it out in the open because the focus is not on God. The focus is on themselves. See, here, here's, here's the interesting little part. I should never know how much time you are spending in prayer. I should never know that. No one should ever know that. Your wife shouldn't know. Your husband shouldn't know. Your parents shouldn't know. Your children shouldn't know. Why? Because it's not public by nature. Jesus says, look, go in your room, shut the door, and pray. Does anybody know what you're doing in that room? No. How many of us haven't heard somebody say, well, you know, so-and-so used to get on their knees and spend three hours every day in prayer. Why do we know that? Why is that where was it recorded? Why did anybody tell us that? It denies the very premise that Jesus is teaching. I should not know how many hours every Puritan pastor spent in prayer. It's none of my business. And if I make it my business to find out, or if he made it his business to tell us, he violated Matthew chapter 6. Because when we tell people how much we're praying, when we tell people how often we're praying, when we tell people about our private prayer life, it's no longer private. It has now become public. And Jesus said, that's not what it's for. There is a time for you to spend with the Lord. Privately, personally, without anyone else knowing what's happening. Second thing is it's not to be set on ritual. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. That constant re repetition. Got to pray at a certain time. It's 3 o'clock, I got to pray. It's noon, I got to pray. It's 3, I got to pray. And here are the words that I repeat over and over and over again. At 3 o'clock, I repeat these words. At noon, I repeat these words. 
I take these beads in my hand and I pray the beads over and over and over and over and over. Do not be like the Gentiles engaged in constant repetition. Even when it comes to these words of this prayer. Did you notice how the catechism called this a form of prayer? Did you notice how Jesus in the text says, when you pray, pray like this. He doesn't say pray exactly this. Every time you pray, before every meal, say the same words over and over and over and over and every single time. No. But certainly, certainly, not we're in that personal time of prayer with the Lord. Do not be like the Gentiles. You don't need to have your little candle lit. You don't need to be on a rug. You don't need to incorporate all of these rituals as if somehow the rituals have something to do with the substance of prayer. Just spend time focusing on God. And notice, that's exactly what Jesus then directs our attention to. This isn't public. This isn't repetition. The focus is to pray. Our Father. Notice the direction. Notice the focus. Notice who is in view. And I know we can get all technical, technical, cut fine hairs 85 different ways. My brother Jerry used to say, talk about he's finer than frog's hair. Still trying to find hair on a frog, but I guess the point was it was pretty fine. Sometimes we do this with the Trinity, don't we? Well, folks, let's not get all technical about this. Just listen to Jesus. When you pray, who do you pray to? Do you pray to the Spirit? No. When you pray, do you pray to Jesus? No. When you pray, you pray to the Father. So here we are, alone with the Father. And this is who our focus is now. This is who we are looking to. This is who we are speaking with. And when you pray, pray like this. Hallowed be your name. That the glory of the Father might be first and foremost in our thinking. The shorter catechism brought that out. I won't repeat those. But listen to how it's stated in Lord's Day 47 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Where we have the question, what does the first request mean? Hallowed be thy name means help us to really know you. 
us to really know you. To bless, to worship, praise you for all your works, for all that shines forth from them. Your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct all our living what we think, say, and do so that your name may be never blasphemed because of us but always honored and praised. When you pray, pray to your Father who is in heaven and pray for his glory. That's Jesus' first instruction to us about prayer. So thirdly tonight, let's spend a few moments talking about how do we do this. It's nice to say, Pastor Bob, if I go home to my prayer closet, my private place of prayer, Where it's just me and the Father. And I'm to begin this process of glorifying him. After I say, Father, may you be glorified. I don't think I have anything else to say. My guess is, you're not alone. My guess is, for many people... After they're done with that, they're left scratching their head going, well, what else do I say now? Well, I guess I'll just get on with the things I need from God. I guess I'll just get on with my list of supplications. Because I can't think of anything else that I should say about God. That I should say about the Father. Well, if that's part of your struggle then maybe these four things would be a help. They're not an all-in-all. They're not an end-all. But they're certainly where Jesus is directing us here in Matthew chapter 6 by saying you should be praying something like, Hallowed be your name, Father. It's where the Shorter Catechism, where the Heidelberg Catechism is taking us. And here would be one. That you can pray... Glorifying God for his attributes. On the back of the page, on the sermon outline, I listed some of those attributes of God. I gave you the big fancy titles and then the words that I'd probably normally use. How would I glorify God? How would I speak to the Father? To tell him? He's wonderful because he's never been created. That he's always existed. That he never changes. That he's all-knowing, he's all-present, he's all-powerful. That he is without sin. That he is righteous. He cannot lie. He's loving. His goodness, his mercy. His rule, his reign. And I've just scratched, just scratched the surface. See, the more we read this, the more we study this, the more 
God speaks of who he is. And you say, doesn't God get tired of me telling him that I think he is wonderful because he is loving and just? Okay, man, do you think your wife really ever tires of you sincerely looking into her eyes with the television off, looking at her across from a dinner table and saying, you have the most beautiful eyes in the world. Do you think she ever tires of that? Think she ever tires of you saying, your hair is so beautiful. You are as lovely as the day we met. Do you think she ever tires of it? Do you think, ladies, he ever tires of being told what a good provider he is for you? You're thankful for the blessing of having him watching over you? Notice I'm leaving out all the stuff about how he looks right now. But I think you get the drift. See, we never tire of this, do we? Nor does our Father. That's why I said he doesn't need your prayers, but he desires them. He doesn't need to be told. We do. <laughs> Men, your wife needs to be know that. You, you, she needs to hear that from you. Wives, your husband needs to hear what a wonderful husband he is. He needs to hear that. But God doesn't need it. But he desires it. He loves his children praying. Not with their whiny little voices. Dad, can you, Dad, can you, Dad, can you? But with their words of adoration for who he is. And if you run out of the attributes of God, think about the names of God. Google, names of God. It'll surprise you how long the list is. And how, how various those names are and how each one of those names tells you something about the character and being of your father. Do you think there's a reason that Abraham would call God by a certain name? Absolutely. Is there a reason Daniel would use a certain term to identify the father? Absolutely. Are there reasons why you and I ought to use those names that God has given to us in his word, revealed in his word, told us in his word, these are my names. Call me, call me by them. I desire to hear you call me El Shaddai. I desire to hear you call me Yahweh. I want you to speak to me. 
the adoration of God. And once we're finished perhaps with that or in a whole other way, we can speak about the works of God. It's interesting as you read through the scriptures and read through the prayers of, of other individuals and you read through the Psalms, which were God's means of coming to us and saying, look, I'm going to give you a picture. I'm going to give you a little snippet of somebody's private prayer life and I'm going to have it recorded so you get a taste of what it's like. Not to lift up the individual, but so that we learn, that we're taught by it. And you know what often happens? They're speaking about the works of God. Some hundreds and thousands of years before they even lived. They speak about the creation. They speak about the flood. They speak about Babel. They speak about the exodus and the plagues. The journey through the wilderness. The conquest of David, of Daniel, of Esther, of Nehemiah. And how much more can we not add to that? But the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the reign of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, all these things to tell God. God, we adore you for what you have done, for what you have told us, for what has been recorded in your word. Lord, as I think about your power and might in those plagues that you brought down upon the Egyptians, how you control all things, how you brought to nothing all the gods of this world. God, you are almighty. God doesn't need that prayer from Bob the Manor. But oh, how he desires it. after we pray of the attributes of God or the works of God, as we pray in adoration, we can thank God for and praise Him for His work of providence, His guiding, His directing, His determining the course of human history. That's so every star is in its place, every planet is in its orbit, that we are born in the particular place and time and form and fashion in which we were, that you've placed us in this particular place at this particular time. God wants to hear what a great job he's done. You say, well, I think, I think Bob, that's going to take me more than three minutes. Yeah. Yep. And I'm certainly not advocating that now we get into some ritual, okay, first I, I pray the attributes of God and then I have to pray the works of God because you see, then we're back to people think they're going to be heard because they've gone through some form. That we've, okay, we've covered A-C-T-S, now I've prayed as if the form is more important than the substance. I can still remember plainly the most stern look I ever got from my father. Now, if you knew my dad, some of you did. He was pretty good at giving stern looks. I learned it well. My children will testify to it. But I remember the sternest look I got. We were coming home from a, a prayer, uh, a prayer for the crops, okay? 
that national day of prayer. And I remember one of the gentlemen who got up to pray. From a kid's perspective of 9-10, it was kind of like I'm going to giggle all the way through it because it was like, what's going on here? And I remember saying out loud in the car, that was the silliest prayer I ever heard. And I got shot back a look. And the look said, was accompanied by these words, you never make fun of another person's prayer. See, it's not about following some form. It's about the sincerity with which we come. I'm just offering to you that if you're stuck, if you're stuck particularly in a rut, stop gunning the tires because you're only going to dig the hole deeper. Look for something new. Not creative new. That which God has told us in his word. Get out of the rut. Spend some time with the Lord. Adoring him. Adoring. Well, I'm out on thin ice. Might as well go out a little bit further. You know, and I'll address men because then it's on me and we're not bearing women into this, but I got a feeling, guys, that if we spent more time adoring our wives, we'd have a whole lot less requests of our wives. I got a feeling that if we spent more time adoring God in prayer, we'd find that we would be a less needy person. Because you see, we're not looking at ourselves. We're looking at the Father. And when we look at the Father, we see how incredible He is. And we see His love. And then, when we add to it His grace, His grace, we're not even there yet. We're not even there in that prayer closet yet, speaking with the Father about the grace that He has shown us. When we, when we begin to adore him for who he is, I'm going to find I've got nothing left to ask for, really. He's all I need. Well, my friends, don't take that wrong. Don't, don't, don't take that that Pastor Bob said you can never ask God for anything. That's not where I'm going. But where I am going is I think the longer the list of adoration to the Lord becomes, the shorter the list, 
because we're not going to be going, I need this, I need this. We're going to look at it in a different perspective and say, no, <laughs> not that, not that. No, I don't have to pray about that. No, I don't have to pray about that because I know the Father. I know the Father. And I know what the Father is like. And because I know what the Father is like, I know that all these things he will take care of. And just remember, all the time you're spending praying, the Holy Spirit is praying the Spirit himself intercedes with groans that words cannot express. We're at the beginning of a new year. Let's pray. Thank you for your word. We realize, Father, how shallow our prayers often are. May we learn to focus more upon you and less upon ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people say, Amen. Our